Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by, I would say, top three, maybe, film uh, guy who I like to follow. And it it helps that uh, uh, Jake Burns, who I'm interviewing here, it helps that he is also a close follower, a diehard fan of the the Cleveland Browns were one of my most interesting teams. Uh, you know, I used to host a podcast, What Would Sashi Do?, um, <laughs> where obviously a controversial figure uh, in northern Ohio. So, Jake, thank you for joining me. Hey, my pleasure, Kevin, man. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. So, Jake, uh, before we start here, so you are doing work for uh, the OBR, which is the Orange and Brown Report. You do a lot of film breakdowns for them. Uh, I really enjoy your stuff, not only because as a numbers guy, it kind of helps me complete the picture of what I'm looking at, but also from the perspective of I just see how you approach what you're doing, and I like the process behind behind what you're looking at there. And I, I think I also like the fact that you know, you're know you pretty even keel on your analysis while still getting perturbed by the fact that the fan base and sports radio and everyone else is just all over the place and up and down on a, on a yearly basis. So I appreciate you for keeping your, your uh, sanity through these last few years. Yeah, man, I, I started, I cut my teeth doing this because I, I didn't, I saw a lot of great analytical stuff coming up on Twitter, uh, really, really great stuff that has continued and furthered and and is making a real impact on how people consume the game. But I, I didn't at the time ahead of 2017 feel like I saw enough people breaking down, not, not necessarily the deepest of dives about, you know, how the game works in terms of maybe preaching about how duo scheme is coached up or whatever. Uh, but, but there was a level of, Hey, this is why something isn't going right. Or this is why it is going right. And kind of trying to transfer that into to dige- di- digestible bits of, film that fans could consume you know people might not always want to consume um you know processing of 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 a past concept but they do want to understand why did odell break that route off early or vice versa so i started out there 2017 was brutal it was the the worst year i've I've picked the worst (laughs) year to start man Uh, yeah yeah the record reflected that so yeah it it, it did yeah it was a really bad year and then from there people started to really like it and it really enjoyed more and more deep dives and that's what we try to do it at the OBR is kind of try to give an angle of film that no one else is really doing uh, to supplement the really good you know data analysis that you guys do over there and um, so on and so forth so yeah that's that's been the goal and and it's going okay but yeah 2017 when we started should have probably packed it in at that point you know wasn't 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 a ton of fun (laughs) Well, we'll see. Uh, I, I want to see. I, I, don't, I honestly do not know going into our conversation. And just to let everyone know, I think we're going to talk. We're going to kind of do State of the Browns first, and then we're going to get into some other uh, looking out at a broader picture across uh, the quarterback position and you know where, where Baker Mayfield fits in that and how we're looking at other tiers of, of quarterbacks. But I honestly don't know going into this conversation, coming out of this conversation, what I'm going to think about, about the Browns because – as you mentioned, it's been a roller coaster. It was, uh, you know, 20, 2016 when Sashi first came in. Um, they had they cleared the decks basically um, at that point. Didn't bring uh, didn't resign guys like like Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, let a bunch of guys go. Traded back from the Carson Wentz pick and accumulated all this draft capital, which they continued to roll forward away from Deshaun Watson and from, and, and from others. And then 
I felt like there was some hope going into 2017. After the draft, when they got Deshaun Kaiser, people thought, hey, that's a decent value pick. They were starting to get some pieces. They got Miles Garrett. Then you had, you know, the 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 0-16 season, and then going into um, 2018, I didn't feel like there was a lot of hope. And then you had Baker Mayfield and, and everyone was excited. And then everyone was too excited going to 2019. And now we're back down again. And now we have uh, maybe a recon, uh, continuation of the regime here with, uh, with, with Andrew Barry coming in. So let me, let me ask you, maybe we'll start from the off season coming into 2020. Where were you, what were you thinking about the Browns coming into this season versus these prior years? Did you, did you think there might be some more stability here or did you just have no idea what to expect based upon all expectations being completely wrong the last few years? Yeah, good, good framework of where they've been um, right there leading into that question. They, you know, there's no doubt that everybody drank the Freddie Kitchens Kool-Aid, you know, following Baker's rookie season and, and really people got ahead of themselves and listen, to be honest, I, it, 20, 2018 taught me a lot. I guess I should say 2019 taught me a lot about how I view from this side of things. I've always been on the fan side of things. Uh, but then I kind of shifted over, as you mentioned, when 2017 and, 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 and beyond happened for me leading into where I am now, it's a different perspective I have on the franchise and how they, how they operate. So so 2019 taught me a lot because 2018, we drank the Kool-Aid of Baker Mayfield. We drank the Kool-Aid of Freddie Kitchens' final eight games, calling the plays, not totally understanding the defenses were going to figure out an algorithm for how to handle Mayfield. And they did. And that translated into uh, frustrating a quarterback. Uh, and then when the quarterback was frustrated, the head coach had no answer for how to help that quarterback overcome those issues. And, and the lack of providing tools around him to help him overcome those issues. And that's why, you know, the, the, the expectations, I, there were very few people who were keeping the expectations guarded going into 2019. And I, I listen, I, I didn't think that they were Super Bowl contenders, but I certainly expected them to compete to, to reach the playoffs. So, so 2019 taught me a lot about, uh, about the, the, the factors around a head coach being hired, the auxiliary pieces, and not just, not just getting your players to respect you as a head coach, because that's important, Kevin, but getting the coaching staff to respect the head coach is so, so, so important. And I underestimated it. You know, I think I thought Freddie hired a really good staff, but I think Freddie hired a lot of guys around him who thought they were better at it than Freddie. And I think that that translated into a lot of issues and a lack of respect and a lack of leadership at the top of the franchise. And that manifested itself throughout the rest of the ranks. And, and it led to it, to a, terribly disappointing season so you know Kevin Stefanski was an interesting name heading into 2019 they almost hired the the guy ahead of his ahead of an opportunity to even be a coordinator and 2019 obviously compounded what we not we yet but what the what Paul DePodesta and the group thought could be there for Kevin Stefanski I came into this year if it was a normal offseason and it was a normal time of preparation a normal time of preseason I would have felt pretty optimistic I was I was very low expectations going into this thing because I knew offensively ton of timing based schemes with this, with this sort of, um, you know, wide zone based scheme that swept a lot of the NFL and has found a lot of success. So much of it is repetition and muscle memory uh, working the timing based uh, schemes that are necessary for this to find success. So I was very, very low expectation offensively. And especially too defensively, you know, Joe Woods coming over, and we'll talk about this later on, but 
coming into a place that had far less defensive talent overall than the places he's found success at before this and how his, how his concepts, how his, his, his base uh, football preference of playing the defensive side of the football would translate with this group. Um, so, so as high as I was going into 2019 thinking this could be a real thing, this could be, there's no reason these guys can't compete, et cetera. Um, I came into 2020 expecting them to get off to a really rough start and have been pleasantly surprised. So uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think that answers the crux of the question, but, but based on everything surrounding a complete overhaul from top to bottom, and then again, we'll talk more about Andrew Barry in a little bit, but Andrew Barry to Kevin Stefanski to Joe Woods to everybody, it was, it was very low expectations. And I thought if you thought this team was going to be really good, I thought you were really getting ahead of yourself. So more of the story, I don't know anything. Put it that way. You're, you're having someone on who doesn't know anything. So, there well, that's that's good uh, because you won't be overconfident. So, so we we don't have to we don't have to worry about that. But yeah, maybe we should do a little post mortem stuff um, before getting into 2020 because you brought up a lot of interesting things. I mean, I think number one, when it comes to the the coaching staff, um, Freddie Kitchens. Now, you you mentioned. I think you were the only person in love with him. You were the only person in love with the Browns uh, going into last year, too. I mean, if you look to the Oracles uh, in the desert in Vegas, I mean, the Browns were that the Browns did have the highest odds of winning the AFC North um, going into last season. So and this is with, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was not injured at that point. Um you know, Lamar Jackson wasn't MVP Lamar Jackson, but clearly they had a strong base and they had a strong finish to that season. And while the, the Bengals weren't formidable, you know, Andy Dalton's a, like a median average sort of sort of quarterback figure. So it wasn't like it was a pushover division and people were expecting them. Well, not expecting them to win, but that, that they thought that they had the best odds of winning. So I, I think that kind of infiltrated everyone there. Um, do you think... When it comes to to Baker, and I want to talk about Baker a lot here, um, what I think is interesting when I look from a number side, and you can tell me how this comports with with your analysis and the fact that he could have been been figured out. I had the impression, obviously, and I think everyone did in 2018, that he had this this really kind of electric rookie season. He put up some good numbers, especially some touchdown totals. Um, he graded really well for us. He was you know, in the top 12 quarterbacks. And that's something that's that's normally difficult to do as a rookie. But when you look at the numbers, he wasn't really that different between 2019 and 2018 as far as his efficiency ranking. It was something like 20th, 22nd overall quarterback. And that's continued on to this year. So from a numbers basis, it hasn't really changed that much if you look at the efficiency. But when you look at the grading, he was grading really well as a rookie, a little bit worse in his uh, second season. And now he's down in the 20s as far as his grade is concerned. So you mentioned this thing about him being figured out. I mean, how much of it is is that versus do you think there could have just been some some flukiness to his performance uh, just by the way he plays? Maybe he plays a little bit of a high-variance type of game. It is high variance. I think the thing that stood out from year one to year two and even into year three, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is a data thing is, is the, is the, is the comparison of of tight window throws or big time throws to turnover worthy plays. I'm pretty sure he was in the top five of of big time throws his rookie year, um, which was, yeah, he was was number three. uh, So he was right. Yeah. Which was, yeah. Which was a big part of what had people feeling, you know, pretty optimistic was, 
I think there was a universal acceptance that Baker was going to make mistakes, especially as he grew that the interceptions were going to be a little part of what he is. And Browns, uh, a lot of people who wrote on them, even people who I, I respect fans on Twitter that have pretty good opinions and have good discussion, it's centered around um, Baker's going to turn the football over, but he's also going to make a ton of really great throws. And those two could balance themselves out. Hopefully, much like uh, uh, maybe a Brett Favre, he can tilt that big-time throw into his favor over time, right? Like he can cut down on the interceptions right. slowly, and he can make enough big throws that it's like, man, it doesn't really matter. He threw a couple picks because he threw four touchdowns or 400 yards or whatever. That was the biggest thing of optimism, right? Like that's what we felt was going to was going to continue. But it didn't because Baker made a lot of a living on uh, out-of-structure schemes, and, and a lot of a lot of – his rookie year was him finding a way to make plays out of structure. And that stuff is, it's hard to predict out of structure stuff year to year, much like defense. It's hard to predict uh, turnover rates. It's really hard for a quarterback to just continually get favorable throwing situations outside of the pocket. It, it's, it's kind of tricky to explain. Like if I drop back on any given passing scheme, you teach your guys scrambling drills, you teach your guys various ways to get open when a play breaks down. But sometimes the team blitz is just that perfect way that allows you to get outside of the pocket and make a play on a guy. I think back to that, to that, uh, his, his rookie year, the throw against the Falcons, he had a rollout right throw to Richard right. Higgins for a touchdown. He had the one kind of scooting out to his left. He threw uh, to Jarvis, which was kind of the highlight of his rookie year, uh, 50 yard touchdown throw. Like those things aren't always predictable year to year. You, you, you find in data collection, the more sustainable stuff is how does a guy play with a clean pocket? Like that's, that's the stuff that's, that's typically translatable. You can find guys having great years outside the pocket. And it's just like, you know, I played the position. Sometimes it just breaks your way. A defensive lineman slants just perfectly that the passing window opens or a guy crashes uh, at the end. He slips down and you can perfectly get outside of the pocket, right? And scramble and find that guy working back on a 15 yard comeback. Like it just, those things aren't sustainable. And I think a big part of what Baker was doing really well as rookie year was finding success outside of the pocket. He found some success inside the pocket. I'm not trying to diminish that, but uh, a large part of what made him like, whoa, was that he was finding this really good success outside of the pocket. That didn't translate. Teams started to figure out, hey, man, here's what Baker struggles with. He does not read coverage well when we change it from pre-snap to post-snap. This is, this is the recipe on Baker Mayfield. And how Baker, excuse me, <clears throat> how Baker overcomes this throughout his career is going to ultimately tell the tale of his, his NFL success or failure. So they say, hey, and I, I, I talked to John Costco. I know he works, uh, you know, he's obviously big time with the quarterback David Charting stuff. And we talk about this stuff kind of frequently, which is, I'm pretty sure Baker might be the worst graded quarterback you guys have when teams muddy the picture pre-snap to post-snap, which is which is if you take uh, open safety coverage, if you take two safeties and then on the snap roll one down and play cover three or play one free, uh, whatever, change it for, from open to closed or change it from closed to open, which is you have a safety creeping down towards the line of scrimmage. You have a single high safety. My mind is a quarterback. I think cover one, cover three typically. Um, and then they, and on the snap, that quarter, that, 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 that safety bails to cover two and, and a safety runs back into deep coverage as well. Uh, if you change this, the snap picture for Baker, pre-snap to post-snap, he's, he's not going to he, – he just doesn't play well with it. He doesn't see the field as he needs to see it. He doesn't see leverage as well, and he's prone to make mistakes. So team said, hey, we're going to box this guy in the pocket. We're going we're gonna to rush lane discipline. We're going to push our defensive ends into his lap, and if he tries to bail outside of the pocket, we're going to take care of him. We're going to be there. He's not a great athlete. We're going to be there sitting on him. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Sean Watson. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Kyler Murray. We can sit on him. We can handle that. We're also going to, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to muddy that picture pre-snap, post-snap. And sometimes when we want to get really fun and creative, 
we're going to make him throw hot and we're going to rotate blitzes in that direction and have a man sitting on his hot throw because he doesn't process that. So that's what happened in 2019. Teams just said, hey, man, we know what you struggle with. We figured it out. And even you could start to see it in week 17 against Baltimore where Baker had some big throws, but also Baltimore teased him into some some really poor throws um, in 2018. And that carried itself into 2019. He started to throw more interceptions than he was accustomed to throwing. He was getting frustrated. The offense was frustrated. He didn't have a coach who could overcome his issues by giving him some easy throws, some rhythm throws, some easy yards. And it led to a high-volume interception season. And all those mistakes for a quarterback like Baker, who has not made high-volume mistakes in his career, uh, dating back to Lake Travis in high school, he's always been a high-volume touchdown-interception guy. He started to get the bug in his ear. I'm throwing too many interceptions. I'm throwing too many interceptions. And carried into year two, you stop seeing him rip the football into tight windows, make those throws. He's not even, it's not that he's not even making big time throws. It's that sometimes he's not even risking them anymore. And that is carried into year three. And that's why we see, you know, some of the variance and, and now some of the struggle with his overall grade. I'm not surprised by the struggle with the grade because I see a guy who's trying to be a bit more calculated. He's trying to, to do a little less risk. And in that, he's missing things. And how grading quarterbacks goes is if you're missing a throw, your eyes aren't where they need to be, or you don't work from your first read to your second read, well, we're going to grade that negatively because it's a negative grade or it's a negative play for your offense. So um, that's a lot I just threw at you. And I know you know most of this, and I think most of the fans have heard me talk about this on the, on the Brown side. But there's a recipe out there for Baker. And a lot of guys get recipes thrown at them. It's how do you overcome it? You know, the best in the business, in my opinion, we're going to talk about some quarterbacks later, are guys who get figured out and they have a way to overcome what defenses do to figure them out. Baker will never be a guy who can win with his athleticism. He can make a play here and there with it. He's not a statue, but he's not going to win with athleticism. So how can he win cerebrally? How is he going to be able to be a quarterback who can say defense is doing this, changing this? I know what they're going to do. I'm going to throw here. Defense is blitzing here. They're taking away my hot read. I need to throw away from the – actually, instead of throwing into the teeth of the blitz, I need to throw away from the blitz because that's that's they know where my eyes are supposed to go. So is Baker going to be a quarterback who can, uh, from, from the mental side of the game, outwit defenses? That's what he has to prove because he can't – like I said, he can't rely on, uh, you know, Josh Allen's ability to stand deep in the pocket or Pat Mahomes' ability to stand deep in the pocket – and, uh, and face rush and have a big live arm that can, that can, that can throw the football downfield or like Josh Kyler Lamar can get out of, you know, dicey situations in the pocket and, and get out and, and do more with their legs consistently because they're those kind of athletes. So that's a little bit of where Baker is. I know that's what caused problems with him in 2019. And the biggest concern that those of us who break him down continually have is, is the lack of, of big time throws uh, compared to, to turnover worthy plays and the lack of uh, a consistency playing in a clean pocket because uh, you can you can predict year to year if a guy's down a little bit on the, on the scramble stuff the uh, broken play stuff uh, you can you can stomach that a little bit as long as they're they're continuing to have their efficiency and clean pockets and uh, and Baker's just not he's not there and that's why he's great at suffering yeah yeah I mean just to, to put some numbers behind what you're saying here yeah I mean I mentioned he was third in in big time throws in 2018 and I think you're right as far as the the grading I mean if there is um kind of a leak maybe somewhat in our grading system is that if you really can nail these super impressive throws that can more than offset some negatives to your game in grading so he had like I said he was third with 40 of them only 18 turnover worthy uh plays in here and then if you go to 2017 
he's still actually he's a little bit better than I thought he was as far as big time throws. I mean, only twenty nine, so fewer, but and it's over an entire uh, entire season. But he's still tied for seventh. But then he had twenty four turnover worthy plays, and then if you look at twenty nineteen, the ratio was basically one to one. Uh, what he's done there, and a lot of that is based upon the fact that he only has. 12 big-time throws, which is 17th, tied for 17th, and then 13 turnover replays. So, yeah, that's really flipped in, in that in that whole direction. So at the risk of really sounding like I have no idea what I'm talking about, and I don't, but it's good that, I, that I'm talking to you, someone who understands quarterbacks a little bit better. I think what's difficult for me to wrap my head around sometimes when it comes to these things like when we talk about processing or being able to – um, adjust on the fly to what the defense is doing. I mean, I can understand it intuitively if a quarterback doesn't have the arm strength, right? That's something you can just see. Or like you're mentioning, if he doesn't have the athleticism. Um, or if, uh, you know, maybe they're just late to what to everything that they're doing. You kind of get an idea of that. But a lot of the things that you're describing, you know, if they do X, then you respond with Y. It's stuff that is very logical, and it sounds like, you know, why can't this quarterback just implement what they're doing? But how much of it is is knowing and really being drilled on this stuff? And how much is it like you just have to have this um, this instinct for it? And, 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 and maybe if that's not there, it's not something that's going to, to necessarily improve over time. Yeah, it's another it's another great question. So so the, the thing that gives that gives uh, me I, I should singularly focus on me is 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 the the biggest amount of pause is that he doesn't he doesn't naturally have calm among chaos you know the 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 guys who typically do well um the guys that you break down typically do well grading wise production wise whatever are able to handle chaos crashing around them and have that calm nature that calm presence about them um and and baker there's two things that make me concerned in this regard a big part of breaking down Baker's tape is he does not calmly work, read one to read two to read three. And that is a problem. Um, he too often his second year and it was social media buzz. It's carried in and people can continue to have this opinion of him is the bailing from clean pockets. So, um, you know, Baker was, was, was seeing his first read. If his first read wasn't open, he was leaving clean pockets far too often. And, that is something that he was cognizant of, was, was talked to about often, saw all the people bashing him, and he has been better in year three with it. But the problem is, just because you aren't bailing clean pockets doesn't mean you aren't bailing them. And that might sound stupid, but he's mentally bailing them. What I mean is, things start going crazy around him, a pressure starts to be created in front of him, um, or teams start to do stunts or whatever that muddy up the passing lanes for him. If he perceives pressure he panics and the panic has gone from less bailing the pocket unnecessarily to now shuffling the feet, dropping the eyes and and getting chaotic with his lower half. And that translates into issues with having his feet set when he needs to throw, finding the right passing lane and also finding the open receiver, which is the biggest one. He doesn't have that ability to work, read one to read two to read three in a calm nature too often. It's a big problem for him and defenses know it. It's obviously a big part of what they try to do up front is they try to make pass rush lanes unpredictable. So big time, different looks happening all the time up front, you know, switching up the rush lanes, switching up the stunts, twist schemes, whatever. So that Baker, where Baker thinks he has a window to throw, 
it gets muddied all of a sudden and someone gets a hand into it or whatever. Um, so that is something that has given him a fit. And now listen, there are guys on the opposite end of the spectrum of the comm stuff who are just oblivious to pressure and they take hits and they don't throw it away when they need to, but they're they're, uh, Daniel Jones or someone like that. (laughs) Correct. I, but I would honestly prefer somebody more on that side of things. You obviously want somebody in the middle, but if I had to pick, I want the guy who can remain calm and oblivious to pressure more so than the guy who just all the time panics. Because if you have guys who, who almost all the time panic, they're going to leave and miss pockets. They're going to miss too much. And, they're, and if they're not a great athlete, which Baker is not, they're not going to be able to create enough plays to overcome it. Like, I keep telling people this, you know, Pat Mahomes isn't perfect. He doesn't always see the perfect first read every time. You know, the same with Lamar, the same with Josh Allen, but their margin for error is bigger because they have the ability to, A, remain relatively calm among chaos, but B, get out of the pocket in a way that extends plays more consistently because they have the ability to do so. They can create with their legs. If they miss a read, if they miss a play, they can still gain five, 10 yards because they can create that with their feet and that helps you overcome it. With with the Browns offense and when you put Baker in empty or when you put Baker in you know 11 personnel in the, in the gun with, with a back in the backfield, you just, you don't have that margin for error and it shrinks everything and everything has to go. Everything has to go almost perfectly. And it, you can win that way. You can win with that type of quarterback but that quarterback, like you mentioned in your question, he has to be a beat ahead. He has to know if they take away my dig to the to my left side, I have an under route running right underneath it that I can come back to. And if that's taken away and they give me a one high look and he bites on that dig, I know I have a post drop to throw over top of it. You have to be so mentally ready for everything going on in front of you that it doesn't matter if, if the scheme is not going perfectly right off the snap because you have the ability to process it all very quickly. Like right now, Baker doesn't have that ability. He doesn't process it all super quickly, and that leads to issues when things break down or go unpredictably in front of him. And I've said this from the very beginning. If you give Baker a clean window to throw, you give him the first read is is going to be open, and I don't care what route it is, Kevin. He'll, he throws as good a football as anybody. He, he can rip it. He can squash the bug with his back foot and get the ball out fast. He has a very solid, quick, compact throwing motion. And he can really drive it. Like I put his arm up against almost anybody in terms of really ripping the football and letting it go. But the problem is, like I mentioned just a minute ago, he does not consistently work read to read to read. He's not a great athlete getting out of the pocket to make up for those things. And the things that guys do in the pocket, Brady, Breeze, Rivers, when he's right, they are able to do the little subtle pocket movements to find passing windows, the slide step, the step forward, the kick right. The, the looping bucket step, those things that those guys do innately, Baker doesn't always do them consistently. So it leads to issues and, and it leads to balls getting knocked down or it leads to him having to throw the football over top of a lineman. And you, you, you know, it's, it's well documented that Baker's miss is high. When he misses, he misses high. The ball sails. Well, it's because he's trying to throw the football over top of a lineman and a defensive lineman with his arm extended instead of just subtly sliding just a bit to the right to open up his arm slot window, that's the little stuff that everybody wants him to be Breeze. Well, that's the stuff that Drew Breeze does really well that you don't always talk about. He has the ability to know this is the passing window. This is how I fit my arm into that arm slot to fit it there perfectly. So that's a big part of it too. And I don't see consistently the off-platform throws that make some of the better quarterbacks really great the ability to throw when your feet are going crazy because somebody's around you or you're sidestepping a rush. 
while still delivering a really accurate football, he doesn't do those things. Well, that's interesting I, I about I, the. I'm oh, sorry. I'm not ahead. trying to pit, I'm not trying to bury Baker at all, but there's certainly a laundry list of things he's not doing well. If you give him the first read and you give him a clear picture, he'll do what he did to Cincinnati. Like if he feels calm and his first read is pretty clear most of the time, he'll rip you apart and he can throw five touchdowns and he can throw for 350-400 yards. But it's the answer for Baker and what the Browns are looking in the second half is what does he do when defense has changed the picture? What does he do when he has to work reads in the pocket with chaos around him? And he can he consistently throw well from a clean pocket. That's the stuff he's got to answer if he wants to be the long term guy there. Okay, well, I have like a, a bunch of different ways to the directions I can go here, but I want to. This kind of harkens back to something that you mentioned earlier about Freddie Kitchens and maybe not having the utmost respect of his staff, and I think. You know, we, we, we kind of know one of the one of that one of those people in the staff was the offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who was, uh, you know, quoted via coaches for for other teams as saying he kind of had no idea what was going on there. And I think part of the part of the story, um, h- how much it went into it or not, is that I, I don't know how involved Munkin was, whether he was leading it or Kitchens was leading it, but it seemed like it was a dual effort that they were scripting out the beginning of these games, these first drives in 2019. Baker was doing extremely well in those, and then the rest of the game he was he was kind of falling apart. Now, I, I, I don't want to read too much into things like first drive because when you start splitting up the the data on the on these things you can just get noisy things so maybe there isn't something to it but do you think there's something to that do you think there's something to if you really prep and drill into baker hey this is what we're doing he knows from play to play um what it's what he's going to be doing there isn't as much uh of that of that adjust adjustment and thinking that you know whatever you can scheme in that direction maybe can't help him do you think that was a real thing that first drive versus the rest of the game last last season oh sure I mean anytime a quarterback has a feel ahead of time for for what's going to be called and he can picture it the night before and all that stuff I mean I think that is always going to help your quarterback and I think I think it, it was twofold you had a head coach who didn't have any consistency calling plays uh that the, the, the plan whatever the plan was hey when we get and second and long, or we get there was just some sort of communication barrier going on there. Uh, I I can't pin it down. I, I don't know if Todd didn't have any say after that opening script. It certainly felt like he didn't. Um, but but there was, and, and you got to think too. The quarterback coach Ryan Lindley. I don't I don't feel like there was any fundamental communication going on between all of those guys that led Baker to feeling prepared when they got off the script. And I think that's because Freddie probably felt ill-prepared to handle a lot of the duties going on around him and calling plays. There's certainly some people that can't handle all of that at the same time. And, and it felt like – it just felt like Baker was unprepared far too often last year. And I do feel better about it this year. I feel like they're certainly more prepared. And, and Stefanski last week gave, a, gave an interview where he said, you know, for the first time he feels like in the bye week that him and Baker have had a chance to sit down and talk about what they do well, what they don't do well. He's got to feel finally for what Baker is able to handle, uh, continually able to handle what he's not able to handle, what he doesn't do well. So while maybe this was an answer they would have come to a little bit quicker uh, in, in, in a preseason and a full training camp and all that stuff, OTAs, mini camp, and they would have had all those opportunities to get together and, and uh, sort of mesh out what does and doesn't do well for them, they get to that answer by week eight instead. And maybe we see a better Baker the second half of the year. I certainly thought he played really well against Cincinnati certainly thought he played pretty well against Oakland. He didn't get much help around him in that game. 
So he's on the upswing in terms of after the Pittsburgh game where it was just like, it was just, uh, what are we doing here kind of thing. Um, he's got eight games to prove himself. And he's got a coach that finally feels like he has the coach in, in place, the offensive coordinator with the clear picture as his quarterback coach to make him prepared. I have not felt that there have been many games where Baker's been ill-prepared um, in terms of just understanding what a defense is going to do. It's just it's just accomplishing it. You certainly talk to Baker. He sounds like in pregame conversations you have with him and in, in, in conversations he's having post-game, it, it's, it's less – this is going to sound weird, but it's just he, he has a, a more – uh, I guess a sure nature about the way he's articulating what the game plan was and what, what he's supposed to be doing. And it translates in my opinion to a quarterback who's having, although he's not grading better, I think he's having a little better second or a little better third year here. And, and the Browns put themselves behind the eight ball deciding whether he's going to be a big part of the future uh, and, and evaluating him in this process. But the second half of the year is going to be very telling. It's going to be so telling because these guys are now comfortable with each other. There's no excuse to be on the wrong page. There's no excuse to not understand the scheme. And for and the good thing, the good sign here is that, you know, what Baker's done really well is the stuff that's new to him. You know, people talk about a new scheme and, and, and most schemes, you know, this Kevin, most schemes translate from playbook to playbook, he, West coast schemes, whatever. A lot of schemes are pretty similar. They translate the stuff that's new is the boot action stuff, the play action stuff with him from under center. And I thought he's handled that stuff pretty well. So, um, you know, hopefully they can continue trending forward the second half of the year and Baker can try to, show some of those traits that we were talking about just a little bit earlier. And, and he's coached up. Listen, I, I don't think he could have found a better head coach. I don't think he could have found a better offensive coordinator and uh, everything's in his corner. You know, he's got to deal without losing Odell, um, you know, losing Odell here, but everything's in his corner to still have a nice pickup second half of the year. And if he throws 15 touchdowns and seven interceptions, again, he's looking at a 30 touchdown, you know, 14 interception year. And it ends up looking okay for the most part uh, for a first year with a new scheme and a new coach. So, He's just got to, he's got to stay the course. He's got to keep making good decisions. He's got to be able to overcome. If he can prove he can overcome some of those issues um, that, that, that have plagued him a little bit, start to show that he can overcome those things, sit in the pocket, find people, uh, be a step ahead of people sometimes. Um, it's certainly a good thing to see him carry an offense down the field late uh, against Cincinnati. We have not seen him overcome fourth quarter deficits very often at all. So that was a positive trend. So, um, you know, look, I, I, I'm rambling a little bit. I get out in the weeds with Baker because I see so much of his stuff, but, I certainly think that, that he was ill-prepared last year. The head coach was ill-prepared. It manifested itself in, in, in really sluggish performances from the entire offense, especially Baker trying to lead them. And, um, you know, this year it's been, it's, been a it's been refreshing in that regard this year that they have felt outside of a couple games, I felt like their game plan and how they've translated it to their players has been, uh, has been pretty good. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about, like I said, some of the higher-level stuff state of the of the franchise uh stuff so obviously Garrett's been re-signed Miles Garrett's been re-signed he's playing um like a defensive player of the year candidate for sure I think he was he was maybe the leader uh a couple weeks ago but it's slowed down a little bit so he's there then like you mentioned the decision on Baker is coming so I guess the question was Stefanski and I think you did some work on this before coming into the season that you thought that the scheme melded pretty well with what what Baker is doing. Um, a couple of different things I've seen, I've seen, but maybe this is anecdotal, but I do think that Baker's also look good to be in situations like we saw in Cincinnati, where he's kind of just goes back there and 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 just rips it a little bit. Maybe isn't isn't being too too coached um, in a way because it, because there's low stakes. So I'm wondering if we'll see more of that 
in a way going forward. Maybe that's the stuff that Baker's going to say that he that he likes a little bit more. So I think that'll be interesting. And just generally, I think the run-pass mix has been fairly conservative. Not as conservative as when Stefanski was with the Vikings, but more conservative than normal. But it, it kind of makes sense if you have a quarterback who's turning over the ball and you have a running game which has been highly effective. So from those perspectives, I guess, number one, with this run-pass mix, do you have any opinions on whether it would just be folly to even think of opening it up a little bit more with Baker? Um, and number two, do you think they they might switch? And then with that, it would be maybe switching a little bit less of the of the play-action heavy, heavy scheme and maybe just letting them sit back in the gun a, a bit more going forward. If either of those two things would happen, whether it would be a mistake if, it, if they did. Well, you got to be careful because some of the stuff um, with Cincinnati to me is a little bit of fool's gold. Like I said, Cincinnati does not rush the passer well, and they didn't do any of the stuff that Baker struggles with in terms of making him um, uncertain about the first read to the second read, making him uh, uneasy in the pocket. When he is, like I said, when he is confident in his first, and this is what you're talking about, sit back there and rip it. When he's confident in his first read, he's pretty good, man. Like he can really drive the football. And like I said, if, if you get him to feel comfortable with where he's going with the football, right up the snap, it's not a different picture from pre-snap to post-snap. He'll, he'll be fine. He'll be a pretty good quarterback. Um, but you won't run into defenses every week that can do what Pittsburgh can do and Baltimore can do and, and change the picture on him. And unfortunate thing is he has to play those guys four times a year, no matter what, but uh, you know, the, 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 not every defense can do that. Even good defenses like the Colts, uh, you know, when Baker had really good success in the first half against them, he threw for 250 and a, and a couple touchdowns. It, they, they didn't do a ton of changing the coverage in the back half. Like they, not every team can perfectly communicate coverage disguise. So, you know, and especially looking at the rest of the Brown schedule, Jacksonville, Philly, uh, the Texans, there's a ton of defenses that they can throw the football on and uh, they will, they will certainly try to do so. And, and, and there's reasons to, to feel optimistic about, the defenses, DVOA-based defenses that Baker has seen in the first half of the year compared to the second half of the year. There's real opportunity for them to do exactly what you're talking about there, Kevin, which is, hey, we're going to throw it a ton, man. We're just going to get in the gun and we're going to throw it. And and uh, even if we don't have our, our best wide receiver, we still feel like we can take advantage of opportunities with tight ends, heavy tight end usage, uh, with, with Kareem Hunt getting opportunities in open space. So that would not surprise me at all. I don't think it would be a mistake if they do it against the right defenses. Uh, but you're also getting Wyatt Teller back and you're getting Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb back. And if they continue to do a heavy run split, I don't blame them. They, they have two uber talented running backs and an offensive line that's built to zone run block and have guards who are really good at pulling in, in counter power schemes. So they have flexibility, like their offensive talent around Bakers. So it's not just one dimensional. They can do, they can do some things and, and they can, you know, they can certainly be creative with how they approach the run game. So I would be, relatively surprised if we saw a massive change in commitment to to Kevin Stefanski running the football but again against some of these defenses that they played the second half of the year pass coverage is kind of abysmal for some of them so I wouldn't be surprised if we see them get into some situations where they say hey man we really like going uh you know 12 personnel here getting two tight ends in the slot and and trying to pick on some teams with terrible linebacker coverage or whatever whatever and it it would be justifiable for me to see them do that but at the same time they got to balance it man they got they got these running backs that that can certainly make plays happen on their own. And they do want to control the clock. Like Deshaun Watson, you want to keep the ball in his hands as much as you can. So even though the Texans have terrible, uh, terrible defense statistically, 
you, you don't want Deshaun controlling the football because that's a recipe for disaster. And, and you got to really look at how you manage the clock against them. So listen, there's a lot to do there. I, I think that, I think that they certainly have a good amount of options getting Nick Chubb back, getting White Teller back is very big because it, it, it gives them a ton of options. And two, another thing of note, which I wrote on last week is they ran 53 ske- uh, schemes. Sorry, let me slow down. They ran 53 um, screen schemes for, uh, for, for 2019 Minnesota and they've only run 12. The Browns have only run and, and, and thrown 12 uh, screens to, to wide receivers, tight ends, or running backs. They just haven't done it. They have not found opportunities. And when they've done and performed those opportunities, it's, it's been very lukewarm. So, you know, the Baker, I think, threw like 75 screens uh, 2019. He was second in the league. Kirk Cousins was, I think, fifth or sixth with, with, with 53 if, if Sports Simple Solutions was right on that data. Um, and, and it's a big part of all these wide zone systems and a big part of what makes Shanahan and, and McVay so successful is the screen is a heavy part of what they do off of their run game. And that, not just the run game, but, but in the shotgun and, and, and various predictable passing situations, they'll run screens too. And they've only run 12, which is kind of mind blowing to me that, that this system would only produce 12, uh, 12 screens. So I expect a higher uptick in that uh, as well, which will produce some yards. I mean, I believe Nick Chubb at second most, uh, running back screen yards in the league last year behind Dalvin Cook. So uh, I expect him to get a little bit more involved in that too. I, I don't know, maybe they get to 35, 40 screens by the end of the year, but that low volume there uh, was pretty interesting to me. And I think it'll be a big part of it too, but they have the, the good thing here, Kevin, is they have a good opportunity to do a little bit of both and hopefully um, finding a balance between those two things helps this offense get to another level because uh, while they've been okay offensively, certainly run the football better than throwing the football. They have to find a way to get this offense with the way the defense is playing. And I know we'll talk about them, uh, they have to find a way to get their offense around 10th and in, in, in 10th in the league, at least uh, whether that's advanced metrics like DVOA or your guys collective offensive grades, they have to push toward the top half of the league, top third of the league, I should say, to give themselves a real chance to make the playoffs, especially against who they played the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, they, it was interesting because after being extremely run heavy in uh, a few games and, and the 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 Cowboys game in particular, they did come out and they were fairly pass heavy. The Browns were fairly pass heavy against the Colts in the first half of that game and had success doing that. So yeah, it's not that they're unwilling to do it. So I think that's, that's interesting. Um, I mean, Baker, there's a, there's another thing when it comes to the defenses that he has to face. I mean, Having to face the Steelers and the Ravens, you know, four times a year, every year, I mean, that's a quarter of your games, right? That you're facing those those two defenses. I mean, I, I, just for another quarterback, you know, we, we look at Joe Burrow, who would be in the same situation. He's had a pretty impressive start to his career. Now, he's only had, he's only faced the Ravens once. And he hasn't faced uh, uh, Pittsburgh yet. And in that Ravens game, he got absolutely destroyed, <laughs> like like really destroyed in that game. Um, it was one of the worst performances of any quarterback of the entire year. So I, I do wonder how much of that colors our outlook on Baker is the fact that he's going to – he just has he, – he plays games against teams where they're going to embarrass quarterbacks, you know, maybe half of the time that you play them against these types of defense. And he has to play them more than any other quarterback does in the league. Well, certainly he's, he's not played well. I, I haven't seen Baker play a good game against Pittsburgh yet. You could kind of say his his home win against them last year was fine, but he was pretty pretty ho-hum in general. I, I don't think he threw for very many yards. He had a deep ball to Odell. That game ended ugly with the Miles Garrett helmet swing. It wasn't a great game by any stretch. He's not played very well against them. I think he's played them once his rookie year, two last year, one this year. So five games, only one average game in five, and he's really been embarrassed in a couple of the other ones. So you're right. 
Pittsburgh is the perfect problem defense for Baker. Uh, he, they play that crashing. It's a unique defense of crashing wide ends who are very fast upfield, but can also power through your tackles. And if you put yourself in a situation against Pittsburgh where you're, you're giving TJ Watt and Bud Dupree an opportunity to, to, to pin their ears back and rush, there's not a, it's probably not a better tandem in the league right now overall on the outside. And that outside pressure um, makes Baker uncomfortable. A big thing to remember, and I know that uh, I've talked with Brendan Leister about this a lot, is, is, is they were a wide set team at Oklahoma. They were, their tackles were almost aggressive punch lateral step guys instead of forming that perfect back. You know, it's almost like I, I kind of phrased if you're trying to make a mental image of this, it would be like a, um, a, a uh, like a U pocket, like a true U against uh, if you flatten the edges of that U, they tried to do it Oklahoma to keep the pass rush in front of him. Instead, in the NFL, pass rush is kind of rush up field. And that's something that he has not handled well. And that's something that Pittsburgh makes teams <laughs> suffer with. Uh, it's no, it's no secret that they're in the top of the league in sacks, um, God, for the last five years, and, and it's just carried over. And Baltimore just does a ton of things to muddy coverage. They really do. A, they're one of the better coverage, uh, uh, deceptive coverage teams in the league, and they certainly know how to blitz Baker and roll people out. And you're right. There's a level to the whole thing where it's like we see Baker play against these two teams who are known AFC North teams who are known for their defense and the success they found through two decades with their defense. And he's struggling against them. But at the same time, those two teams aren't leaving the AFC North at any point. And he has to find a way to overcome uh, those teams to play average football at least. So um, needless to say, the rest of this year, those two games, those two rematches and how how Kevin Stefanski is able to handle those two teams, uh, specifically how Kevin Stefanski is able to, 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 to balance rushing attack. Uh, because I did not think he had great run game preparation for either of those two teams and how they can keep the games a little bit more neutral to help out their quarterback is going to be important because listen, if Pittsburgh, if Pittsburgh's up 21, 21, nothing, 21, three on anybody, I don't care if it's, even if it's Pat Mahomes in the playoffs, it'll be a fascinating matchup. They bury the pocket and they, they, they really bury the pocket and they have just good enough coverage that it is able to hold up and make quarterbacks have to hold on to the ball just a little longer uh, than they want to, and also their pass rush gets home a little quicker than anybody else. So uh, that that's going to be an extremely fascinating matchup. Now I'm I'm just saying like, as much as Baker struggled, that team Pittsburgh will embarrass a lot of teams who uh, who don't have early early scheme passing opportunities for a quarterback right off the right off the snap. And uh, um, but you're right, they, 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 there's a little bit of that 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 muddles our picture of like, well, he's got to play those teams four times a year, no matter what. But but at the same time, I'm sure Baker would tell you if you ask him, he's got to find a way to be better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, maybe you know, the, talking about even even what may happen to someone like Pat Mahomes. I guess after seeing what Mahomes did to the Ravens on that Monday night game, it's just uh, it almost seems like he defies all all, all logic there. Um, but you know what? I, I I said we we might talk about some of the defensive stuff, but I think that I really want to talk to you about some some other quarterbacks throughout the league. So maybe we'll. We'll we'll skip over to to talking about quarterbacks throughout the league. Now, I want to match up some of the stuff that I'm doing numbers wise versus how how you view these guys. And specifically, we have this I have this technique of that wraps in together. Like every single time these guys drop back to pass, it makes an adjustment based upon their performance, either by their grading or by their efficiency. And I'm using uh, expected points added here, and then it updates so that. 
Uh, the longer history you have on someone, the more confident in, in how well they'll play versus you have shorter history, you're not as confident. And then it also bases uh, upon draft position a lot for these guys who are young. So I have a rankings and kind of ideas for these guys here. And I wanted to hear how well they match up with what with what you're thinking on here. Um, specifically, though, I wanted to start with some AFC North guys because of the fact that, like I said, I just think it's really an interesting category. And and Joe Burrow being the first guy I want to start with. I know we don't have a lot on him so far, but I was really surprised by how highly rated he was when I go through these numbers because he's graded so well for us. He's grading, you know, again, kind of like Baker as a rookie. He's grading as like a top 12 type of quarterback. His efficiency has actually been really good too. It started off being fairly poor, but then he's had some great games going on here in the, in the season. So the numbers that I run on on him have are very very high, and it's based upon the fact that he was you know he was a number one pick coming in. So that 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 fades into it a lot. But I guess from a for some people's perspective is on him more of a limited quarterback because of the issues with arm strength but he does move so well so I guess when we're wrapping all those things together my numbers point to him as saying hey this guy really has you know top seven eight sort of potential right now and could move up even further in in the future what what do you see from Burrow (laughs) he's really good um (laughs) I I hate I hate that he's in Cincinnati listen I, I said it What about specifically about the arm strength, the arm strength questions and what that means for his, you know, upside, Uh, the quote unquote upside is always is always a big thing here is just whether or not, you know, that his success can be sustained um, or it's just room for error, basically. Right. We're just talking about room for error in certain situations. Yeah, right. Right. Like a guy who has a ridiculous amount of arm talent in terms of being able to to uh, let, let me phrase it this way to tie it into the Browns. I think Baker has a great arm, but I think Baker has to get every single ounce of his body into it to have a right. great arm. Pat Mahomes has the great arm that he can just kind of flip his hips and, and flick it. Like it's just a flick nature thing. Like, like I've said, I've seen Baker throw the football 65 yards in the air, hop stepping into it. But like I said, he's got to get every fraction of his body into the throw to have really good arm strength. I don't, I don't certainly the, the only knock you could have had on Joe Burrow is that he does not have a, that, that, that easy, powerful arm that others have. And you're right. When you have that arm, uh, it, it, it does allow you to maybe be a beat slow on a read, or it does allow you to, uh, to make the throw into a tight window that, that maybe other guys wouldn't even attempt. Right. Like those things are there, but that's not who Joe is. Like he's a, he, I talked earlier about a two beat ahead quarterback. Like once he, and I think he's shown, flashes of it already but once he becomes a two beat ahead quarterback which I think he will be a two beat ahead meaning he's just going to know what defenses are trying to do and he's going to be a couple beats ahead on where to go with the football like Tom and Drew and some of those greats are that that he'll be able to overcome not having elite arm strength you certainly never thought Tom or Drew had elite elite easy arm strength um, but but you knew that they could get the football wherever they needed to because they saw it when they needed to see it right they saw it ahead of time and it got there. And that's the flashes I've seen, which I've watched obviously full games of the Browns, but I've seen his Colts game uh, leading into the rematch when the Browns had them. And I've seen plenty of his stuff, Jacksonville, and he's, he's good, man. And I, I don't think he'll ever be an elite deep ball thrower. I don't think he'll be a guy who you, you cut on the tape and see these wonky um, footwork, but still somehow delivering it like, like Josh or sometimes Carson Wentz is able to pull some stuff off like that. 
but I don't think he'll ever have a game that relies on that stuff. He'll be able to, to, to be athletic enough to pick up an annoying amount of pesky third downs with his feet. He will be able to extend plays and deliver the football where he needs to. I, I just don't listen. I I'm not, I'm not oblivious to the fact that he doesn't have an elite arm, but I don't think his game is predicated on a way that is going to need one. I was high on Joe when he was battling Joe or when he was battling Dwayne Haskins, I kind of wanted him to start. I wasn't being public about Ohio state football, so I wouldn't tweet that or something, but I was like, man, I, I kind of think Joe should be the starter. I just see a lot more upside in how he sees the field. And it's easy to say that after he wins the Heisman and, and certainly when Haskins throws for his for, for almost 5,000 yards, but, I just saw a better quarterback there. And I, and I, and I think that Joe has the ability to win with his mind, but he's athletic enough and smart about his athletic ability to use it to his advantage. And I just see a quarterback who's going to be really good, a top 10 quarterback uh, for, for, for 15 years. And a guy who, if he continues to be smart and he gets paired with the right offensive play caller, not sure Zach Taylor's that guy, but if he gets with the right play caller, a la Sean Payton, Josh McDaniels, whoever um he's going to be really good for a long time and he's just he's just he's good at his baseline let me put it this way his his basement where he is right now is his basement and that's a pretty damn good quarterback and his ceiling is is certainly tom brady like to me i just i see a guy who can who can see beat ahead who gets with the right coach and the right system and the right defense that they could win super bowls with that guy i don't have any doubt in, in the in my mind about seeing that in, in his arm not being elite is not going to alter my thought process on that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's just hope that, um, he, he stays upright for, for the entire season. Cause there is, he's really taking a, a beating. Yep. 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 You're he's, right. he's taken, he's taken a beating. I mean, and then, and as far as like the negative plays, I think he's taken a lot of sacks. That's probably been his, his biggest negative. Although again, you know, what belongs to the quarterback, what doesn't, I mean, I think there's always a, uh, a debate there, but I think it's interesting. In fact, I put out just because I wanted to gauge people's opinion. I put out a, a poll on Twitter about whether you'd want to start your franchise with Burrow. I put the Kyler Murray in there. They're about the same age um, mm-hmm. from from the year before, or Justin Herbert. And I think Herbert's another guy I want to talk with with you about specifically in, in, in detail. And Burrow won that poll fairly convincingly, which I was a little bit surprised by. Um, what do you think about the other rookie? So Justin Herbert, uh, I think he, on the flip side, he has that arm talent, right? Like, uh, I think there was at least a few, he's, he's made a lot of, talk about deep ball passing, he's made a lot of plays. And I think what I've noticed, now you can maybe tell me that I'm crazy here, but what I've noticed about him sometimes on these deep passes is he's not even necessarily, he, he's not two beats ahead, right? He's he just can can throw the ball really, really far and get it there yeah. very, very quickly. So it's almost like he isn't anticipating when someone's going to come come open because um, the safety's not not playing, you know, is, is playing too aggressively. He could almost wait for him to break uh, above the safety and then still deliver the ball to him. So I think that's a really interesting contrast. And I don't know which one you really want more is someone who can just make any throw possible on there. But I, I, I guess I'm a little bit more skeptical whether he has that sort of two-beat ahead philosophy as your I mean I mean ability that you're talking about with Joe Burrow yeah he he's certainly not there yet Joe came more ready-made for that um there's there's not a doubt in my mind and and I'm going to backtrack a little bit on Joe before I go to Justin which is sure it, it, they, they, it's it's worth noting that Cincinnati revolves their offense around Joe right now it, it is 
Everything oh, yeah. is in his, oh, yeah. it, it, it is everything in his lap right away. And if you look at some of these guys, it's so often, I love Pat Mahomes. His, his talent translates and transcends probably anywhere and everywhere, but you land in the right situation. You land in a team ready-made to compete. You land Lamar Jackson in a team ready-made to compete. Even going back to who I compared earlier, Tom Brady, Tom was on a team ready-made to compete when he got his chance to start. Like, it's 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 super challenging to do what Joe is doing, which is bringing a Bengals team who is at the bottom of the league in pass blocking efficiency, at the bottom of the league, and in, in in terms of uh, grading the offensive linemen in both phases, and to be able to make them a respectable offense and a competitive offense. I can't speak highly enough about that situation for a guy just landing in the. I know Joe comes into the league older, but for a guy just landing in the league. That's ridiculously impressive to do without without and, and Joe Mixon's been out for a little bit here. So like he's finding a way. And when you can do that, and then if they can have an offensive line turnaround in a free agency situation in a draft, kind of same way Buffalo did for Josh Allen going into year two, you're cooking with grease at that point because they have wide receiver talent. They've obviously got John Ross T. Higgins. They're going to keep adding to that group. We're seeing more and more late middle round receivers coming into the league that are impacting things. I'm worried about them, man. I think they're going to be good for a while. Um, and and I, I think that I would prefer prefer personally a Joe Burrow type who I know sees things the way they need to be seen. And no matter what a defense throws at them, more often than not, he'll be able to figure out a way to beat them. He'll be able to figure out a way to get the football where it needs to go. It doesn't matter what they're throwing at them. I love Justin Herbert's ability to, like you said, hold on to the ball and find something when he needs to find it because his arm can overcome. And that's great. You can't coach that stuff, but it's not a guarantee that when defenses start to figure out what he struggles with a little bit, he'll be able to overcome. It's just not a guarantee. It could happen. And you could, you could see the linear improvement that we're now seeing out of Josh Allen, where the game is slowing down for that guy. And he's starting to really hit his stride with how he plays um, the position. And that that's just something though, that is all projection, right? Like, uh, there were some terrible opinions of Josh Allen and justifiably so coming out of the, out of Wyoming, but you see the talent and the pieces around him start to be built. You see a consistent scheme around the, that guy and he's able to take to another level, but there are examples of guys who have the arm strength, the arm talent, and it just never clicks once defenses throw more at them and more at them and more at them. I, I like both of them. Don't get me wrong. If I had to, to bet on both of them right now, I think both of them end up making it having really good NFL careers. And and there's certainly Justin Herbert is 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 impressive flicking the football uh, as 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 you'll find right now really really can find accuracy all over the field and and can see things uh, when he needs to see them and drive the football into places most quarterbacks can't but there's still a little bit of the unknown there with me so I need to see more of the sample size with him so um, I would prefer to answer your original question there I would prefer the guy who who stays a beat ahead because there's more sustainability there. There's more predictability there. And um, I think there's a little bit more comfort in knowing that guy uh, will be a safer prospect down the line, in my opinion. And that's why he goes first. Right. Right. And how much does this, this age question fit into it? I mean, I haven't been able to find a lot. Like I kind of haven't found much. It's, it's kind of, you know, when you're a rookie, rookies normally play like rookies, whether they're, they're older or younger, and then they get better. I mean, I think it's been something in particular. I, I don't want want to necessarily sidetrack and talk about him, but it's been something that's been thrown out there in particular with someone like Sam Darnold, who was especially young, and whether he still has a chance. So, 
So Herbert, I'm looking here. It looks like he is a year and three months younger than someone like Burrow. Does does that matter to you at all when you're when you're thinking about where these guys are going to develop? Not necessarily. I mean, it's it's a benefit if a guy's younger, but it, to me, it comes down to exposure at a, at a young level. I mean, if I need a guy to take a, a couple years of college snaps to feel good about throwing him in there as a rookie, I just you just need them to quarterback is all reps all it's all about seeing things unfold and the more opportunities you have to see things unfold so many times at the college level it's just going to help you when you get to the NFL so a guy like Joe who's a little older but I know he's seen the field for two years at least I felt good about it even though his first year obviously wasn't in in the realm of a second year you knew at least he saw two years of SEC defenses on top of always practicing against Ohio State's defense you knew he's seen what it's like to play uh, and you certainly saw a lot of exposure to different things defenses can do um and that that certainly helps but you know guys like Dwayne who only start for a year you, you start to get pretty nervous about them um because you just don't know it's it's a lot more projection you could hit on a guy like Kyler but you don't you don't know there's still a level of uh, a level of risk there so I don't worry so much about the age I love if a quarterback comes in 21 like Sam Darnold did but I just prefer a guy who's seen an abundance of snaps at the college level. So you have a greater piece of data to look at their production, to look at how many different schemes that they've seen. It's just, I just love when quarterbacks come into the league having a ton of snaps. It's just, I I just love the mental reps. Uh, I love in practice working with the first team against, you know, a first team defense and all of that stuff matters. It, It just, it matters to see as many different things as a quarterback can see and, and uh, if I was evaluating these things in the front office, it would always benefit me to, 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 to select a guy who I know I've seen. I've seen this guy operate. I've seen it. I know what it looks like. And, you know, it was a big part of, of Cliff with Kyler is that Cliff knew more about Kyler than just the Oklahoma days. Right. Like that was the element yeah. there that makes him feel a little bit more confident. But, yeah, I, I don't so much mind if a quarterback comes in Baker's age. I, I don't I, I don't necessarily think that it makes it any guy just because a guy's 24 instead of 22. I look at the snaps. How many snaps have they played? How much exposure have they had to the position? How much exposure have they had to other defenses who do different things in a variety of different ways? I want a quarterback to be coming to the game, or sorry, coming to the NFL with a, with a with a broader mental picture of defenses, as opposed to a guy who's maybe younger but has only saw twelve college games. Like that's just going to matter. It's just going to matter at how well you process it, and uh, and, and patience is never a problem to me. I get it. Rookie contracts happen quick. I know that, and they, 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 your window with the, with the quarterback can, can happen in the blink of an eye. But if you can give a guy a chance to watch and process it, it's, it, it can help. It just can. It helped Pat. Pat was Mahomes is vocal about how much it helped him, and 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 it, and it can. If it makes a difference in a guy making it, then it's it's valuable. It can be really valuable. So I don't knock either direction guys go, but like. I just I just want colleges to to players coming out of college to have as many reps as they can have so that they have a mental picture of of what defenses can do for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about Herbert is while he he's he's not an old prospect, and he he something about his appearance like gives off this very like high school quarterback sort of vibe. He did, you know, he was a four year starter uh started as a as a freshman a true freshman um he had injury shortened seasons his first two years but that was actually one reason why 
Um, we weren't as high on him uh, in our models at PFF because of our charting data and because of the accuracy that we didn't see with him that we saw with someone like Burrow. But other analytical models that don't account for that sort of granular contextual data that just purely looked at statistics, um, they normally also incorporate how many years someone has started in, into the model. And we're, we're very high on, on Justin Herbert. So that's why I, I, wasn't, I wasn't maybe as surprised as some others that he was pretty good right out the box. Because like I said, he, he's been starting for four years now, um, you know, before coming out of college. So he was, he was a pretty well... Uh, well-tuned, experienced guy. And now, it's got to be said, too, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's got to be said, yeah, too, sure. that this stuff is still really hard. Like, if yeah, Justin yeah. Herbert is this God's gift of football uh, as a quarterback, is sometimes you just don't know. Like, sometimes a guy just, they get there and it clicks. <laughs> like, it, it's, 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 I don't, it's, we want it to be an exact science sometimes, and I know that that's the goal, but there's like 15 of these guys on planet Earth that can do this really well. And it's, it's, it's really hard to do it and think about how hard it is to figure out who can do it from a no data about them as an NFL player perspective. That's so hard. And sometimes like the guy can make a jump and like Sam Darnold. And I know Sam hasn't had a bunch of help around them. I get that, but like they just don't have it and whatever unquantifiable thing it is, they don't have it. And Justin, if Justin, we knew what Justin was going to be, he would have been drafted right behind Burrow. There would be, no doubt in my mind that he's he's the next pick because if if he's if he's going to be this good and we need a bigger sample size on him I'm, I'm not oblivious to that but like Miami doesn't take Tua they just don't they just take Herbert because he's this good like it, it, it's not easy man and sometimes we're going to have misses in this whole operation and it's not like you should you should yell at other people or or, or say that someone's dumb or you can't do it's hard man it's hard and it's been hard for a long time, and it'll continue to be hard as we look at how these guys from different a variety of different schemes at the college level translate into NFL schemes, which are still pretty unique. I know that more college schemes are trickling into the NFL, and that's great, and that's cool, but there's still compact, tight hash marks. There's still a lot of elements of the game that won't change. The, the pocket gets tighter. The athletes get faster. Some guys can mentally adjust to that. And some guys can't, and you don't really know until they get there. So if we all knew Josh Allen was going to be what Josh Allen's turned into, or Lamar is going to be, uh, Lamar was going to morph into, then they would have been picked higher. They just they would have been picked first. It's not a, it's not an exact science. I always just have to make that call. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. And actually, you know, okay, I want to I want to talk about Kyler also because he was another person that I put in this. Who would you start a franchise poll with? And he came in second to Burrow and before Herbert. So, okay, so when it comes to Kyler, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being disparaging here of him, but I think as far as a passer is concerned, at least by the numbers, so if we if we ignore the fact that he's doing so much, especially this year, on straight designed runs where he's, he's, he's adding a ton of value there, he's, he's adding a ton of value scrambling, um, he isn't taking a lot of sacks, which is an improvement from last year, and that's been highly valuable. But purely what he's doing outside of those things, uh, just passing the ball, he's more like mid-tier in, in that regard and how well he's been able to to produce from there. So my concern with him is whether or not or if he's going to take this leap where purely as a passer – He's a guy you can rely on to 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 be an efficient, you know, um, 
passer as opposed to someone who just has that athleticism to get out of a lot of different situations and make things happen and, and how those things go together. Do you, I guess, what, what do you think about Kyler gener- generally and how would you view him versus, let's say, Burrow being on the, on the other end of the spectrum where obviously Burrow's athletic, but he's really doing stuff mostly from, from the pocket when he's producing? I view Kyler in the same landscape that I view Lamar, which is like, don't don't make them be pure passers all the time. I I just I get I get the element of wanting them to be, and I know there are situations where where they will have to be, but they have this this God given ability to do things that some running backs can't even do, and and it's like use it. it, it I just in the Josh Allen's the same way. I know you don't want to get these guys hurt. And, 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 and the thing that I've noticed is that for the most part, these guys do a pretty good job. Josh takes some dumb hits sometimes, but like most well, of the Kyler time, does a particularly good job. I think, I he, think he does. Yeah. He, he certainly does. And I, I don't think that you need to change these guys. Like I, I think that, okay, you look at Deshaun Watson and he's very similar to Joe Burrow in the stretch of um, a guy who can see a couple beats ahead, who can extend a play, who can deliver from wild platforms. And, and um, they're, they're meant to, and have done it consistently winning from the pocket. I just don't think we have to make guys that aren't great at winning from the pocket. You have probably enough data on Kyler. That's what Cliff has. You have enough data on Lamar. Don't force them to do that. Continue to do what you do with them. Continue to run them and make defenses respect the fact that you will run them. Because when you do, it presents opportunities to throw the football because defenses have to play all 11 defenders on the field, have to play all 11 offensive guys in the field. And that by itself and the ability to, to, to have defenses scared and use a spy have defenses have to do rush contain stuff. It takes people out of the element. So like I, I, I to answer your question, if we, if we make, uh, if we make Kyler sit in the pocket and continually throw down field and not let him use his God given abilities, he's probably going to be a middle to lower tier quarterback in the league. But the, 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 the beautiful thing for him is he doesn't have to be that way, right? Like he doesn't, th- th- he's given this God given ability to be able to run uh, and find a, 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 he's quickly at top speed, like right away. And um, the same for Lamar with his shiftiness, like use them. I think those are what make you great. Like you don't have to be the, the, the way like Lamar and the way Kyler are, you, you're, they're, they're just probably never going to be elite pocket passers. Can they be good enough? Yeah, they've proven to be good enough. Hell, Lamar won an MVP, so he's better than good enough. But like they don't, I just don't think that we have to force them and, and have these conversations. I'm not knocking your question or anything. It's just, it's just something I think about often where it's like, can these guys win from the pocket? Well, they don't, they don't have to always do it. There are certain games where they do. Uh, maybe a score is a team runs out early on the scoreboard or whatever, but they need to continue to use what the guys are good at. Like you don't draft Lamar thinking Lamar is going to be a 35 throw quarterback. And that's, that's your answer. Like that's just never going to be right, but you can give him situations where he runs, give him situations where he gets out of the pocket. And, and Lamar obviously is another guy who can throw from weird arm angles and weird platforms and figure out a way to do it let them do it, man. Like, I just don't want to see people pigeonhole these guys into doing these little, the the value added for them is that while they're not perfect pocket passers, they're good enough. They can win from the pocket enough that their legs then become what pushes them into the elite tier. And it's the same part of the discussion with Josh Allen, which is, yeah, he has wildly inaccurate throws sometimes, but he makes enough throws from the pocket. He makes enough anticipatory decisions from a quarterback perspective that when you add in his ability to run from that position and create and extend plays from that position, that's what bumps them up. Like that's what makes them who they are. So I don't want to change their DNA. 
you know that that's a, that's a risk. That's a risk with those guys is that, hey, they could get hurt in any given moment. I would prefer, as I think most teams would, guys like eventually Joe Burrow won't take as many hits because he'll be able to get the football out quickly and, and, and distribute it and it's less injury risk. But those guys that have the freakish ability to run the way Kyler does, Josh, Lamar, let them do what they do. And, let, and, and, and they, the, for the most part, those teams are doing that. I'm not saying they're not, but like, I'm not going to knock them because they can run. And, and it's like, that's, that's a great feature, man. Like that's a great feature to who they are. If you can avoid taking hits, like Kyler's able to avoid taking hits and he has the baseball slide from heaven, uh, the same way, the same way Russ does, like let him, let him for back of a better term, let them cook, let them do what they're good at. And they can still do enough from the pocket. The defenses have to respect it. You cannot crash the third level of your defense down because those guys can still throw the football over top and beat you that way. So that's the beautiful part of, of those guys who have the added ability to run the football and run the football as like an effective rusher. Like they can design plays for Kyler to run the ball. They are, they are doing that and it's working same way for Lamar, same way for Josh Allen, like use it. Don't be afraid of it. Be smart about it, but use it. And, and those guys, uh, in my opinion, are great modern assets to have in, in the game. And I, and I, I, I wish Baker had that element of his game, but he doesn't. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunate for Cleveland, but um, you know, for those guys that have that part of things, it's such a great feature that I will never knock a guy because he he's, he's a runner. Like that's not a, not like, that's cool. Like that's great. He can run. That's first downs come from that extended throw touchdowns happen from that. That's the stuff you want. I'm not going to be like, well, man, he can run and he runs. A, if he doesn't take hits, if he's smart about his running, if he slides when he's supposed to slide, give me that guy, you know, would I prefer Deshaun Watson? Would I prefer Pat Mahomes, would I prefer Joe Burrow, who have that ability to run at the same time as 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 uh, um, in, in, in be able to sprinkle in the running with the ability to see you know the game ahead of time and have, have a good arm strength and get the ball where they need to the way maybe Pat's got the arm strength or Joe sees things ahead of time or Deshaun's a mixture, beautiful kind of mixture of both of those things. Yeah, I would probably prefer that, but there's multiple ways to cook up the winning formula here. So um, I just I just think they got to continue to use those those parts of their game and, and it's to me it's not a knock yeah no no yeah definitely not definitely not a knock I guess I'm just thinking of it in terms of um well okay let's talk about Lamar then for a second because I was hopeful that while he wasn't going to throw with the same efficiency that he did last year just because it was, that was nearly impossible to replicate something like that like you're just going to get a little bit worse but I was I was hopeful that he would he would he would he would kind of regress back to what what he where he should be at which would be at a higher level than what we were all expecting at least a few years ago. Um but he's he he struggled this year much more so than the year before. So what do you think is going on with Lamar this this season? I I think he's been banged up a little bit. I'm going to be honest, I have not watched a ton of their stuff. He he lit Cleveland up week 1. Um Yeah, yeah, he was good to start the season. He was he, definitely he good did. to start the season. I think there's yeah. some possibility that he has some sort of ling- lingering injury thing that maybe is not getting reported, but it's tough to say. Yeah, and like I think that there are going to be streaks for Lamar. Like I think that there will be times, like he was at Louisville, where he was he was very accurate, had no issues, uh, was seeing the field pretty well. And then I think there will be times where he just is is a little bit inaccurate, and and it's the same sort of streakiness you see with Josh, where those guys. Those guys are not consistently accurate quarterbacks, um, and 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 it's not a, it, it is a knock. But the things they do to overcome the accuracy issues, 
typically balance it out a little bit. But yeah, if you make if 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 you make Lamar have to sit in the pocket and especially drive the football outside the numbers, dating back to Louisville, not a great not a great player in that regard. Doesn't doesn't do it as proficiently as you would like. Um, and that there you know you talk about the recipe with Baker. There's a recipe with Lamar. It's a challenging recipe to get to, but you can get there. Make him have to throw outside the numbers, get out on them early so that he's forced to take his legs. Uh, and I shouldn't say his legs can be an effective part of this game at any moment, but take the predictability, sorry, the unpredictability of him running the football out of it. Take the option game out of it where you can make them have to throw. Uh, and, and if they want to run, that's great. They can run the football and keep the clock running. Great. That helps the, uh, you know, your defense milk the clock away, but uh uh, make him have to throw the football. I think if you if you're going to beat them, that's how you do it. And 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 he's gonna he's he's just his his throwing motion and and how he uh, is not able to consistently drive the football outside the numbers is going to lead teams to boxing things in, making him throw where he's uncomfortable throwing, and he hasn't proven he can do it. Uh, I have like I said, I don't I don't want to sit here and say I've watched all of Lamar's throws this year. I have not. I'll do more watching when we get close to Cleveland gets close to them again, but. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that if you make Lamar consistently throw from the pocket, like throw after throw, beat you with accuracy, and you don't have to worry about him running, and you can play a little bit more on your heels and play into pass coverage with them, it's a recipe for giving them fits. He can still do it. It's just not as consistent as it is when he's got the play action element rolling and they got the middle of the field cutting you up with tight ends and and uh, and some different various different various wide receiver routes up the slot. Like that's when they're damn near unstoppable is when, is when you have that going And two, mix it in that the the offensive line is not playing very well there either. And compared to what they did last year, they certainly are weaker at the guard position. They just lost Ronnie Stanley. Um, So there's a little bit of that going on, but, but I I've never, I've never thought that if you make Lamar sit in the pocket and consistently beat you was going to be something he was able to do game after game after game after game he was going to run into some ugly games but what like Lamar is the great thing for Lamar is he doesn't have to play that way he's able they're able to get the ground game going they have such a unique scheme uh with Greg Roman doing different various option schemes and challenging teams at the point of attack that you have to almost change how you play defense week uh when you play them uh, almost like a service academy in Georgia Tech Paul Johnson days you have to change how you play against them and it creates unique opportunities for him to find answers in the passing game that not many other teams find. And that's fine. They could take advantage of that. And it's a super unique offense and it's fun. And he's great in it, like great. But when you make them have to do traditional things because you jump out on them, time gets tight, whatever. I just, I just think that's a recipe to beat them. And um, you know, every, every quarterback has a, has a thing. Every quarterback has something defenses can do to stop them. How does Lamar overcome that? If Lamar wants to be, as great as we all think Lamar can be, he's he's obviously won an MVP, so he's done some things right. But if he wants to be this great player we think he can be year after year after year, he's got to prove that he can win from the pocket um, when he needs to. He doesn't have to always do it, but when he needs to, he has to show he can do it. And he has to certainly throw the football outside the numbers in that general direction, both right and left, with some success. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping for for his sake because I, lo- I I love Lamar and. Uh, not to have another kind of playoff disappointment like like we saw last year, and that was I mean that was the book on him, and supposedly that's what uh, Dean Pease and the Titans defense did to him last year was really force him to throw outside. So we'll see if 
he continues to have those struggles this year. Now, you've mentioned Josh Allen a bunch of times. And I think Allen's probably the most interesting guy, probably someone who I was really low on coming into the season, hadn't shown a whole lot, really has a pretty good infrastructure around him if we're talking about the receivers, the offensive line, everything they've built there. But at the same time, you, know, you give him credit. He's, he's more accurate. He's, he's doing some things where you're like, yeah, that's kind of a Josh Allen type of uh, – like trying to make too crazy of a play, but it, he's playing a little bit more controlled this year. Um, do you think there's any chance that what we've seen so far and, and is is going to end up petering out and he's not going to play at that sort of level? Or, or, or where do you see his true quarterback play? Because as of right now, I mean, you can make an argument that he's he's in almost the top five of quarterbacks as far as how, how well he's played. Do you think he could, he has any possibility of maintaining that or do you think he'll settle more around, you know, quarterback 10 or maybe even being more like quarterback 15 eventually? I would probably expect he teeters around that. If, if, if the status quo stays the same for him, he probably teeters around that 13 to eight range. He doesn't consistently throw it with enough accuracy to, uh, um, you know, con- continually beat defenses. I think he'll, he'll do some boneheaded things. He, I just think that's his DNA. Like he'll just, he'll throw a ball away uh, when he, or sorry, he won't throw a ball away when he should, he'll take a hit. He shouldn't, he'll miss a ball by 10 yards. It's just, it's just some of the crazy things that he'll do. It's just kind of who he is, but he's harnessed so many of those things that we were worried about and has found listen, a guy who can, who can sit in the pocket, take hits and throw with anticipation, uh, his arm strength. We talk about Justin Herbert arm strength. This guy's the, the quintessential arm strength guy who can, uh, who can deliver it when he sees it instead of seeing it ahead of time. He doesn't even need to see it ahead of time. When he sees it, his arm is so powerful. He can get it where it needs to go right away. Um, and, and that helps him. He, he's obviously aided big time teams want to play man to man against them uh, far too often because they want to challenge uh, they want to challenge these wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. And it's just so silly because Cole Beasley is just such a great player at the line of scrimmage. And obviously Stephon Diggs is, is just, just really opened up things for that entire offense in terms of a, a wide receiver quarterback pairing that, that clicks. We talk about the Brown side of things that doesn't click with Odell and Baker. Stephon and, and Josh have certainly clicked. Um, and he has a propensity to hang in the pocket. He'll sit there. He'll take a hit. He'll slide around. Uh, he'll stand calm and he'll find a guy over the middle. And that's something that is important. He'll, he'll sit in there and, and deliver. And he'll also get out and he'll also make crazy plays with his legs. He'll also do some quarterback design run stuff that will be effective for them. Look, I, let me put it this way. I think you can win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen. And, and I, I never thought that that would be a thing I would say. And um, I, I certainly think that they will, they will challenge in the coming years. Their defense has some issues, but they will, they will challenge in the coming years because he makes enough throws that defenses, that defenses can't, they, they can't bank on him missing like they maybe could his first or second year. Like he, he, he's able to, to sit in there calmly. So if you leave somebody open or somebody gets beaten coverage, he'll find them and he'll make enough throws that are challenged type of throws that that'll make you say, okay, he can do it, man. And, and we have to play defensive defensive st- structure here that, 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 uh, that respects his ability to make those throws. And they have guys who create separation and, and, uh, they're probably a tight end away from being a really, really good offense. So um, I did, I just, I didn't think I'd get here with Josh kudos to him for proving me wrong. And a lot of other people wrong. Uh, they've, they've given him a lot of really good structure there, especially going into a second year, bolstering that offensive line and uh, shout out to Brian Gable, who was really terrible with Cleveland, but found a way with Josh to, to formulate an offense that really fits, fits what Josh wants to do. So in my opinion, 
he'll he'll probably be in perpetuity a top 13 quarterback the rest of the way. If he climbs above the top eight, I'd be pretty surprised uh, consistently. But he can also go on some hot streaks where he makes enough plays that he's he's considered one of the better ones in the league. I, I, I again, I, I don't watch a ton of Josh. I've watched enough to sit here and say, like, damn, th- those are plays I wish our quarterback was making. And, and I've, I've seen enough from his arm over the years of watching him. And I've seen enough uh, from his ability to run the football that he is certainly a plus. You know, I, I always go back to that to that offense or sorry, that quote. Uh, that I heard uh, Ryan Rosillo had, um, he had somebody on, I can't remember who was a quarterback tier rankings. God, I can't remember his name. Um, it's not important, but he he made a great point about quarterbacks and some quarterbacks are able to expand what you do offensively and are a reason that your offense thrives. And some are quarterbacks who who limit what you can do offensively and are a reason your offense struggles. And Josh is, is a quarterback who has expanded a playbook and he's a reason the Bills are playing really good football because they don't run it that well consistently. So um, shout out to him, man. He's, he's making a ton of plays and proving a lot of people wrong. And, and a guy that I think that a lot of teams in the NFL would feel really good about if he was their quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's safe. I think we've seen enough to, to move him up quite a bit from where I would have had him before. Um, but I probably have some, you know, some skepticism about being able to maintain the exact level of production. But everything is, is really coming together for him. So maybe uh, I'll wrap it up w- w- with this question to you. Because um, we talked a lot about Baker earlier, and then we talked about these guys who I'd say are some of the best young quarterbacks um, from the last few draft classes. Is there a chance that... Baker could get back into that conversation with some of these names as being someone people would point to and saying, you know, Baker is someone I would want to start a franchise with over any of the the names that we mentioned or over multiple of the names we mentioned based upon what he can do the rest of the season or what he can show, uh, maybe even going into next year since uh, that'll be the final year of his rookie contract. This is a question I've been I've been ducking, to be honest with you, because I don't, I don't want Dallas fans to tell me. <laughs> I, listen, I get asked that that question all the time. I, I, I have a hard time seeing it right now. I, I don't um, listen. Do you think they should pick way. up his option, his fifth-year option? <laughs> this is a, that's another question I get a lot. I mean, it's, it's only for injury, so I, I think it, they it will is. just because it's it an injury-only one. But so, so you'd be pretty firm that they should not extend him on the offseason. Okay, there's 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 layers. <laughs> Sorry, I'm throwing a lot of stuff <laughs> no, no, at you no, no, right no, 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 right no, no. now. You're fine. Right, These are yeah. fair questions, and what the Browns did is they put themselves in a tough spot to answer this question about his future because they kept hitting the reset button. They kept hitting the reset button with the play caller, with the head coach, and all of a sudden you have a quarterback who is is needing to be evaluated with the current head coach and GM who you really like, but you only have 16 games to do it and very little prep time going into it, and you have to make a big decision in the off season no matter what, right? Like. They got to make this decision. You would love to have three years of data in this offense to make that decision, but the Browns have made it so much more challenging to have to analyze this in 16 games. It's it's a real tough decision for them. Um, you know, to, l- let me answer your first question. I I have a hard time seeing Baker get to those other quarterbacks in terms of if the if the label of the question is would you take Baker over X quarterback and the ones we've talked about. I have a hard time seeing him enter that discussion right now. You need Baker to play sans the athleticism like Joe Burrow, where he is out in front of what teams are doing to him. He's able to work from his first read to his second read consistently. 
and he's able to deliver the football from clean pockets. I think from clean pockets, he can do it, but he's got to be able to, he's got to be able to see two beats ahead. He cannot be flustered by rotating coverages from pre-snap to post-snap. There's so many things that have to clear up for him in the last eight weeks uh, that, that it's, it's murky and it's tough. And then the thing that can get even tougher is you look at, like I said, the defenses that remain in the second half and being struck with some fool's gold stuff that could happen because a lot of what Baker's rookie year was, he was beating up on bad defenses and then the good defenses were giving him fit. So while it's great that you can beat up on bad defenses, you have to eventually beat good defenses. So there's levels to that whole decision. I'm happy I don't have to make that decision. Um, <laughs> but I well, just, you know, I, to, to answer the crux of it, I don't, I don't think he will enter that conversation right now. Maybe in a year, another year he gets there. I don't know. The odds of him getting there for me are like 20%, maybe one in five. And that might be being generous. How I yeah, I was gonna say twenty percent doesn't sound that bad right right now actually. Yeah. It it, do, it doesn't. I, I probably am being a little bit too generous, um, but there's still an element to this dynamic with Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt that can work out. But it's still only a one in five chance, and I'm probably sitting too high on that number. Here's what I would do if I'm structuring Baker's contract moving forward or whatever he's going to be. They probably pick up his fifth year let him play out year four. And then there starts to be, and I even wouldn't be opposed to this if I were them, which is offering up and kind of trying to come up with a Jimmy Garoppolo type of contract, um, which is the way of protecting the Cleveland Browns long-term future, but also giving Baker opportunities to prove himself. Maybe you get, I don't know. I'm not a cap guy. I don't know what the number total was that Jimmy got. I know that they have ways of getting out of that contract. What it would be to me is, We'll offer you $100 million over five years or whatever. Again, I'm, if you're listening to this and you're a cap guy, you can call me an idiot, whatever. But the, the, ignore the number and, and, and pay attention to the premise of what I'm saying, which is you give them a contract that gives them the first two years with a, with a certain amount of money. And after year two, it gives you an out. And it gives you an out that protects yourself that, that no matter, even if they picked up the fifth-year option, he would have been here anyway. But you give an out. And, but if he's playing really good football, you have a way of keeping him three or four years after that in that situation. So like to me, if the Browns were able to structure it, that they could have an out after two years or something along those lines, but it's also a good dollar figure that if Baker starts flips the switch and starts killing it, you also have a way to pay that man over the course of time that makes it justifiable for Baker to give up on some other years. I think it could work for both sides. I think there's a part of Baker that would be hungry about proving himself. It would work out for the Browns in terms of protecting their future uh, like I said, after fifth year, uh, even though that would be the second year of a new contract, uh, they could get out of it. They could they could ditch the contract with minimal cap hit, and they could go forward. Or um, if they like what Baker's doing, he has great fourth and fifth year. They say, okay, man, we're going to keep giving you the you get you're earning your 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 roster bonuses because you're still on the roster, and you're earning your incentive bonuses because you've thrown for thirty touchdowns and whatever, whatever. That to me is what is an ideal world would be for both sides. Baker still gets to the opportunity to continue to prove himself, make money while proving himself. Uh, but the Browns protect their future at the same time where they say after the fifth year, Hey man, this isn't working out. We're going to move on. That's how yeah, I would yeah. do it. But I don't know if they can come to a conclusion that works for both sides. Though. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think there are reasons to be hopeful about how the front office will approach things. Um, I think I mean I think Andrew Barry probably would have and and the rest of the front office probably would have you know they probably loved Baker as a prospect but they didn't draft him so that's 
that might make it a little bit easier to to move on if need be. And wh- how much to read into this, I'm not sure of. But they what we did hear in the offseason when they talked about Cam Newton that they said they did mention the Browns as being one team that actually inquired. Um, I don't think that meant that they were going to you know bring in Cam Newton and replace Baker Mayfield and this and that. But at least it shows you, which I think is is just good due diligence from any front office probably should be looking at these things unless you're certain that you have a quarterback. So I think hopefully the front office will not get caught in this kind of quarterback purgatory, uh, which could happen just because they're sticking with their guy and they don't have another option and they're just going to try to max out what they can do with Baker. So I think there's hopefully I'll there's I'll some add hope. this point too. There, there's, there's, there's not only the Cam Newton buzz or whatever, there's also the element of Andrew Barry's recent press conference, which is, you know, in a press so conference. I, like I miss that, this. It, I miss this it, here. So it, it was, this yeah, it's a midway point, and, and they said, you know, the questions about Baker's long term future come up, and they say Baker's doing all the right things, and, and, and we like what we've seen from Baker. But if, if Baker is your guy, if you're having this conversation with the Texans, Chiefs, GM, um, uh, I would say uh, some other quarterbacks down the line will, will have this come up. Uh, even even Dak, I know they haven't reached a deal, but, but with Dallas, they are saying Deshaun is our guy. We know Deshaun's the face of the franchise. We'll eventually work out the contract at some point, but he's the face of our franchise. He'll be a long-term part. Dallas has said the same things about Dak. I know they haven't reached a deal, but they're saying those things. And, and, and there's no doubt that the Chiefs said that about Pat Mahomes before they worked out a deal. Like Andrew Barry could have easily said, Baker Mayfield's the future, he's the future of the franchise. We believe in him. We're going to work it out when the time comes. Uh, we love Baker. He's the future. They didn't say that. And, and listen, I know they didn't outwardly say that they're questioning Baker, but you got to pay attention to the little things. Sometimes the things unsaid are the things that are that are actually said. They didn't say that in that press conference. They brought in Case Keenum to hedge their bets. Uh, they had Garrett Gilbert. I mean, Garrett Gilbert's adequate. We all know that. We saw him play against Pittsburgh. He was adequate. You, you, that's at least a back. You didn't need to bring in Case Keenum and pay him. They paid Case Keenum good backup money, right? inquired about Cam Newton, right. they're hedging their bets. That's what they've been doing. You know, they don't know. They watch year two film the same way we all watch year two film and said, I don't know, this might not be it. And while they're giving him every opportunity, which is the right thing to do, they're, they're saying, hey, man, if he tanks, we got Case Keenum. So just hold us over until we figure this out next. Uh, if, if, if Cam was available, uh, they thought he could come in and be a part of this, hey, we're going to talk to Cam. If Baker was the face of the franchise, we would have said it. They're waiting. They're they're pausing. They're they're being patient, and that's why when I talk about the next contract, the Browns cannot get caught up in this idea, especially if they sneak in the playoffs and the first playoff berth since uh, 2003, and everyone's loving it, and the, the city's going crazy. And hey, man, we haven't had a court. Baker might not be perfect, but we haven't had a quarterback since Baker, like since Bernie. Whatever. You can't get caught up in that. That's not that's not what you want going forward. So you have to keep the Cleveland Browns' best interest in mind, while also keeping the idea that Baker is inadequate quarterback and there's a level to to, there's also something to be said for having an adequate quarterback right so like that's why when I think of where they need to go this offense obviously needs to structure itself in a way that props up the quarterback some quarterbacks uh and we've talked about these guys already some quarterbacks prop up an offense they can overcome a bad right tackle a bad right guard a bad wide receiver core they can overcome it some quarterbacks Baker Jimmy Kirk need talent around them that props them up that's what Baker needs so they have to do two things in my opinion Keep the options open in terms of if Baker doesn't play well, structure a contract that allows them to get out of it while also giving Baker opportunities that if this guy starts to prove himself and starts to kick kick some butt and takes over, maybe he has that mid 
early mid-career resurgence like Drew Brees does with the right play code, you know, play calling, he gets with Stefanski going forward and they work this out and he turns it around, you still are able to pay him, right? But they also uh, have to, to keep their bottom line in mind because I think they have to pay Nick Chubb. I just think they're going to have to surround him. That's pay Wyatt Teller. They're going to have to surround him with people that continue to prop him up. And they got to find a way to do that. And structuring a quarterback that's not going to uh, contract, that's not going to eat a ton of your salary cap like some others will, is going to be a big part of that. So uh, there's a ton of factors here. I'm going to write on this eventually, but like that's what they have to do is how do we structure this thing with Baker, protects our bottom line as a franchise at the quarterback position, but also gives us the financial flexibility to continue to prop him up and help him. Uh, because, you know, there's not one formula to winning a Super Bowl. San Francisco proved that. They were on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl. Uh, There's certainly not one great formula, but you have to keep financial flexibility to prop your quarterback up. So they have to keep that in mind, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be an interesting offseason. And I think, you know, a lot of people associate the analytical front office with with just tanking, but there's also, we've seen with Daryl Morey with the, with the Rockets and some other situations where there's also, you know, pushing your chips in when you feel like you have a window with some star talent and some players around there. So who knows that they could try to make a move for, for some, 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 some sort of quarterback um, in the off season too. And, and that will be interesting. Well, Jake, I know I've taken a ton of your time here. Uh, I want to make sure I direct everyone to follow you on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, I know you're doing all the work with the OBR, which we mentioned. Is there anything else you want to plug before uh, before I let you go? No, no, not 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 really. I mean, if you're interested in more Baker Mayfield content, we have an OBR film breakdown YouTube channel where every week uh, I get on there and have a live stream of his all 22 efforts, and we talk through. I talk through my thought process of why I think this would be graded badly, poorly, what he's thinking, uh, probably what he's thinking, what the scheme looks like, uh, all that stuff. So that's about an hour long show we do every Tuesday. Uh, God bearing, I get my computer back this week, which we talked about. We'll do that every Tuesday. And if you're interested in more Baker film, that's a place you can go to get it. Those will always be posted on YouTube uh, to rewatch if you want to rewatch them too. But yeah, eventually dive into more quarterbacks, maybe into the off season, but for now, just, just Baker stuff every week. And obviously Brown stuff over at the OBR is, is a piece of what I do every week too. So that's where you can find me. All right, man. Well, thank you again. And thanks everyone for listening. Rate and review the pod. Otherwise I'll be talking at you next week. Thanks. 